Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson. He played 10 years in the NFL, including six here in Washington. I host the Hoffman Show 3 to 6 daily on the Team 980. You can always stream us as well. The same place or one of the places you can stream this podcast live on the always free Odyssey app. And Logan, that was a little bit of a nail biter. We talked about it in the in the immediate aftermath. Uh, anything yeah. major change from your observations now that you've had a chance to dive into the film, which is, of course, what we do on Wednesdays, d- deep dive into the game. We also have a mailbag question at the end of this one. But big overarching takeaways after watching the film. Yeah, I think there's probably two, and we can kind of break it up offense, defense, like you said. But um, the defense really struggled big time outside of a couple sequences of plays. And then I think Taylor Heineke actually played a little bit better than I thought. Like, if you watch his first probably 10 throws, I mean, those throws and the way he's reading the defense will probably rival anybody in the NFL. And then he goes through like a five to seven play period where it's like, what is happening? And then he kind of gets back in a good form near the end of the game. So I think. You know, like the the good was really, really, really good. And the bad obviously was very bad interception, you know, flicking the ball and all this kind of stuff. Almost a second interception to A.J. Terrell. But um, I'd say overall, man, like I was a little bit down on him coming out of the game. But then when you watch like throw for throw and, you know, obviously the game flows a little bit different like in real life. But when you watch throw for throw on the all 22, you're like, man, he, he, he did a did a good job. And like you see all the things we've talked about in terms of him the, the value adds and also some of the things that he struggles with. But I think on the whole, it's just been really nice to kind of see him taking steps in the right direction. And obviously he's at his best when he's not turning the football over or putting it in harm's way. But I think the other stuff besides those turnover worthy plays was, was pretty high level specifically that first drive. He made some excellent throws. Then the next, the the following drive, he made some, or the, the, the first drive of the second quarter, excuse me, did some really nice uh, stuff in terms of uh, buying time in the pocket and making completion. So that was kind of one thing that really stuck out to me. And then obviously, by extension, the offensive line, I think, deserves a lot of credit because um, they pass protected very well. A little bit of that Scott scheming stuff up for him. And then they blocked really well. I think they left some stuff on the table, but we can talk about that more in detail as we go. Yeah, let's start with the passing game. Um, yeah. Because... What like Taylor on that first drive was incredible. He's four for incredible. four. It was funny because Mar- Mariota was like four for four on the first drive for like a half a yard, and yeah. Taylor comes out slinging, has that 25, 26 yard completion to Terry on the first play, has another big chunk play. He goes four for four for serious yardage on that first drive. What like why couldn't he ultimately sustain it though? Like where did it fall off the rest of the game? Because I mean he came out so sharp, and you just are hoping obviously that he can 
get a little bit more consistent, even though, you know, I think, I think before I let you answer that, I do want to say this, like Taylor's yardage total is massively hampered by his interception because if they, they have the ball on the 47 yard line, right? And if they drive 40 yards uh, down the field there, mostly on the back of his arm, like that yardage total is now up at 175, which is still not like a big day. But when you run the ball 37 times and only throw it 23, um, you know, all of a sudden that that completion, let's say the attempts go up by five, like 170 yards on 28 attempts, like that's not bad. But he throws a pick on the first play. And sometimes where you stack actual yardage is in some of those two-minute situations. And he robbed himself with, and it's his own fault. That's a terrible pick. Right. Uh, I'm assuming that watching the tape, you did not come to any kind of different conclusion. Um, but like it's, overall, it's hard to, it's hard to know like exactly what he's looking at even like it was right. so it's bizarre. Yeah. But, yeah. um, but his, like there, the weather, uh, a couple of drop balls and, and also just the sheer number of temps does affect his yardage total. That said, he's clearly sharper on that first drive than he is at any other point in the game. So what changed, uh, to, to have that effect? Well, I kind of felt like even when I was watching it, then when you watched it on the playback, they had this excellent first drive where they were finding these chunk plays off of play action, some straight drop back stuff, but all kind of supplemented by the run game, which is what they've been doing. And then the next series, they come out and they try to throw the ball on first and second down. And it kind of harkened back to, um, you know, what they were doing with Carson Wentz, at quarterback. And then you see the offensive line give up a couple pressures. And it's like, OK, this is not I felt like Scott needed a reminder. Like, this is not who we are. This is not where we're at our best. Then they were kind of get, able to get back into more of a normal commander's game flow, run, play action, pass. Heineke did an excellent job. You know, it was the drive where they, they ended up getting a field goal, but, like, checking the ball down, understanding the coverage. Like, there was a beautiful um, – it's quarters coverage, right? They're, they're running, like, a, a scissors concept to the left, so a corner and, like, a nine or a go, and then two digs on the backside. And that's going to be dead versus quarters like 90% of the time. He takes a little bit of a beat, and then the ball's immediately to the back. The next series, it's uh, Tampa 2, um, or Tampa 2 or quarters, I don't remember exactly, but it's the angle route to um, Brian Robinson underneath. Again, just understanding pre-snap with the coverages, getting the ball out quickly. I thought he did an excellent job of that on that drive. And even the throw to Bates I thought was really, really nice. But again, it was like a tick late, right? And I think that's the thing that kind of, started the slide for me is it got he was a tick late on the throw to Bates he threw the interception he was a tick late on the ball to Terry you know just a, and it's a it's a fraction of a second but you know for how well he's been anticipating throws I thought that that was something that really fell down and then he kind of got back into like checking the ball down understanding where the ball needed to go and making some plays off schedule and so I think um not off schedule but like in the rhythm and timing of the play yeah, it's kind of dictated schedule. right 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 and so I think um I think that was it, right? Scott kind of lost it for a second, got back to it. He looked really good. I mean, there's the completion to Gibson right there on the dragon concept, slant flat versus a man concept. The linebacker gets picked. Gibson gets a nice first down. There's the third and two where he like rolls out after getting a little bit of pressure and finds Terry for the big chunk like that. The first two or three series of the game outside of the – so the first – the first series, the second series wasn't very good, but I think that was more play calling. The third series was good. And then to miss the throw to Bates, I think kind of started a little bit of a skid because then he goes, miss the throw to Bates, miss the throw to Terry, which is a really tough throw, throws the interception the next play. And then he kind of goes through a little spat where it's like he was a little late, not quite there, probably four or five throws, finds his rhythm again and is able to kind of right the ship. But I think that to me is it, – it's so, again, it's, it's a little bit play calling, right? Scott – 
resurrected that, corrected that very quickly the next drive. Then he go. Then he went on a little bit of an internal kind of what's the word I'm looking for? Like mess. You know, he wasn't quite right. Yeah, it just the, yeah, the, it got off, got off kilter, got off was, off rhythm, off everything. And it was very slight, but it was enough because you know his margin for error is so small. So very slight, but eventually he gets it corrected, and um, you know they're able to win the football game. And I think I forgot how well he played on those first two drives of the game because he played at a really, really high level. And obviously you can't look at those in isolation, but you say, man, if he can, if he can do that for four quarters, like this team could do some damage the second half of the season. It's just about whether he's capable of playing with that level of consistency. And really that's what separates good quarterbacks from average quarterbacks is that level of consistency. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting to hear you too say Scott lost it for a bit. I mean, it felt like they were pretty consistent with their game plan, but you know, it was, it was really just one, it was really just one series, right? He tries to come out throwing the ball early. Taylor takes a pressure, right? It's that one where they, um, Epiquete kind of stunts around off of a chip and hits a Taylor in the legs as he's trying to flick it to Gibson in the flat, you know, then the next play is a pressure, right? Yeah. That that literal flick. Yeah. And then they came out. So they came out trying to throw the football, I think is the thing that, um, that kind of stuck with me as a set, as opposed to saying, Hey, remember, this is who we are. This is what we want to be. We're going to run the ball on first and second down and kind of manage our third down experience. And, um, and I felt like Scott was like, all right, yep. Lost my head there for two seconds. Kind of had a bad, not a bad series, but a, an inconsistent series. Let's get back to it. And it was, they were right back on the saddle. So I don't want to say like Scott called a bad game because I think he called a really nice game. And I think you said it on the post game show, like the rhythm that he's getting in for as a play caller has been awesome. And again, guys, he's calling stuff, I think, maybe not the most complicated stuff in the whole world, but he's calling stuff that speaks to the personnel in a really nice way, that speaks to what the guys like to do and what they can run really well. And it's really a testament to Scott and really this offense because, you know, obviously I don't think Atlanta's defense is outstanding, but it was, I think, a really well-called game by Scott. And um, outside of a couple plays by Taylor, I think you say that's a pretty solid performance. Yeah, definitely. So, um the one other thing that I, I talked about a little bit on the show yesterday and, and mentioned on the pod, I think as well is, and, and this is, I guess, a little bit of a defense of Scott coming out throwing uh, in some of that, those situations is I do think they've done a good job early in games of being unpredictable. Like they teams yeah. know they want to run it and they're going to get there eventually. But I'm curious after you watch the tape, like you, you watch Atlanta's response defensively, how, how are they playing things early and how does maybe some of that first drive open them up a little bit or is it just kind of they they never really change and, and Washington just ran it down their throats anyway specifically with Brian Robinson yeah I don't think anything particularly changed I think that was always going to be on the table especially if they were going to play like this kind of coverage emphasis which Atlanta had done you know they didn't play a lot of cover three which was a little surprising I thought they'd play more cover three um but I think again Scott deserves a lot of credit this team deserves a lot of credit uh, the offensive line did a good job of kind of resetting the line of scrimmage. I think everyone says, oh, B-Rob had an excellent game, and he had a fantastic game. But one of the things I think that really stuck out to me is the offensive line's ability to kind of reset the line of scrimmage and make sure he wasn't getting hit in the backfield. When you look at, like, the Houston game, for example, B-Rob had a solid game, but he's getting hit a lot in the backfield. Philly game, same type of thing, right? This was the first game we really got to see B-Rob kind of get into the second level of the defense and use that big frame, lean on smaller defenders and, and kind of impose his will on the game. And I think um, it just shows like the level of efficiency that 
Scott is getting in terms of calling the run game? Because I know they ran a lot of duo, but they ran a little bit of counter. They bring that jet sweep action into Gibson. Um, they run a couple reverse kind of actions, which again kind of unsettles the defense. That another play call, which was really, really subtle, is they got in the same formation. So they got a tight end to the left on the ball. I think it's Bates. And then they got Logan Thomas off the ball to the right, which is what they've been running duo out of. So they bring the tight end back across the formation. It looks just like duo. But the back's angle, instead of hitting the play side A-gap, so kind of right behind Norwell, he pushes it to right behind Trey Turner. And so obviously that looks, it smells, it feels like duo. In actuality, it's tight zone to the right. And the linebackers, their response to that SIF motion is insane. Like they all jump a gap over, and there's a huge glaring hole there on the front side of the run that probably would have gone for like a 30-yard gain if uh, Larson and Norwell are a little bit more consistent on the double team. It ends up being like a seven or eight-yard gain. But the the awareness of Scott in that situation to say like, this is a run that looks, smells, feels the same, but gives us a little bit different aiming point for the back and lets him hit it a little bit differently in terms of aggressiveness to the front side. I think, again, just speaks to his evolution in terms of how much more comfortable he's getting calling runs consistently. And it, um, and it shows up in a really nice way. Yeah, I think there was a, a term used in the broadcast. Um, I'm trying to remember whether you said it or whether uh, Adam or Schlereth said it in the broadcast, but they, they said that Scott's starting to become stubborn with the run game and like being yeah. okay with being stubborn in the run game. And, and you see that obviously with 39 and 37 attempts in the last two weeks. Um, I, I will ask just from a, like a clarity standpoint moving forward, like the lack of touches for Dotson, the lack of touches for Samuel as receivers, is that something that was kind of how Atlanta played it meets lack of opportunities because of the lower numbers. Like what, what was the reason that it was kind of like terrier bust in the past game? Uh, and you know, a couple other guys obviously get involved throughout the game. Bates and Robinson have the touchdowns. You get a couple of checkdowns here and there, but nothing. I mean, Dotson's only target I think was the pick. And that was, as we were yeah. talking about, I do want to talk about the pick more in depth, but like, uh, that's that's not really a target because he was nowhere near um and, and curtis doesn't really get anything in the past game although he was obviously involved in an important way as you mentioned in the run game uh to kind of get some of that edge stuff on the on the end of rounds and, and reverses yeah i think um you know scott is i don't want to no no that's a, this isn't a scott thing he, he just he's calling his offense right he's calling his offense right. he's, he's trying he's finding ways to get terry touches and, Which is um, the most important thing, by the way. I will yeah. take this version over the version earlier in the season where you're just like, hey, how come 17 can get the ball? I will take most of the passing game running through Terry all day, every day. It just feels like if we're looking for ways to become more explosive, you're looking for ways to become more consistent, that a wider use of the very capable weapons that they have is obviously going to help that cause. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I think um, I really just think there's like not a ton of opportunities, like even on, you know, there's 24 attempts, but even in those 24 attempts, like they're out of different personnel groupings, there's different people on the field. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. Um, sure. And I just think like it's he's just calling his offense. And I, and I actually like how the offense is going. I like that we're not trying to manufacture touches for certain guys. It's just kind of happening organically, organically. And Taylor's reading the coverages out he's getting the ball where it needs to go as opposed to you know i mentioned how he kind of went through a period where he's checking the ball down a ton i love seeing that from him because I, I don't want him to be overly aggressive putting the ball in harm's way yeah like you could put that ball in there and try to make that throw but why you know we're running the football really well the defense is playing well let's just try to stay on schedule and for him to do that with the level of consistency 
consistency that he was able to, I think just is a, is a sign of his maturity and it's a sign of a healthy offense in a way. So I know everyone wants to get touches to uh, Jahan. I want to see Jahan get more touches. I want to see Curtis get more touches, but I think they'll come in the offense. And I think as, you're, as long as you're winning games, that's okay. Um, because really right now, the people that are going to get the most touches in this offense are the backs, right? Robinson's going to get a whole yeah. bunch of touches. He's going to get touches in the passing game. Gibson's going to get touches. He's going to get touches in the passing game. So, I mean, how many catches did the backs have on the day? Uh, they had a, a quite a few. I don't have the stats up in front of me in the moment. Sorry, I'll pull it up real quick. Uh, I know Robinson obviously had the touchdown reception, uh, which is very nice. You'll love to see that. Uh, overall on the day, Robinson had where did it go? Uh, he had two. Gibson had three. They each had three targets apiece, which again doesn't sound like a lot. But when you only have 14 team receptions on the day, that's over a third of them to get five, yeah. and, you know, six of 22 on the targets. Yeah. And then uh, do you have McLaurin's targets up there? Yeah. Uh, Terry had six targets, four catches. Six targets, four catches. So again, like there's half your offense right there, half of your receiving offense right there. And uh, you're not throwing the ball a ton. Um, did uh, Bates had two targets, two or three targets, right? So he, had a, he actually had a four on the day, three uh, and three catches at 24 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, Logan Thomas had three as well, but only got the one catch for seven yards. Right. Yeah. So again, like obviously those pieces, the tight ends, the backs are going to be a bigger percentage of the offense because you're going to be in that personnel a little bit more. Those kind of run first personnels are going to be on the field a little bit more. And so those guys are going to get more touches. And quite frankly, like I'm okay with that because right now I feel like this team really knows who it is, who knows who they are and they know where they, um, where, where they're going to make progress and they're going to make their hay. So uh, as much as people want to see more touches, I want to see those touches too. Like that's not the nature of the offense at the moment. And um, you know, I think that's something to kind of look at this off season and say, Oh, like, how do we get those guys more involved? But as of right now, I think, I think this is it, you know, call the offense, call the play passes, get Terry some touches. You're going to check the ball down to the backs, all those things. And um, Jahan and Curtis will get touches. I mean, we've seen Curtis get touches in games, obviously, um, yeah. being a big part of it. Against and that, that is something that I think I, is so important. Like Curtis getting the touches in the run game is probably honestly more important than him getting touches in the pass game because he creates that different look which keeps the defense off balance him coming in those jet sweep motions helps with the other elements of the run game with the threat of him actually getting it like that stuff is so much more important than him getting touches in the pass game it's just, it, it kind of just goes to the larger philosophical discussion and we don't need to dive into it for the 800th time uh, in this particular episode um, but it, it goes to show that like Taylor is and a lot of our commenters have actually said various versions of this that I like and it's like Taylor is the quarterback of right now for this team but it's very clear he's not the quarterback of the future because of what we're talking about. You just can't have this type of weaponry, especially when you spent money on it in Curtis and high draft picks on it in Jahan, go unused. But that's going to require a different quarterback who can operate low sack totals you know, and do all the things that Taylor's doing while also having some of the upside of what Carson theoretically was supposed to give you. Um, and, and you just live with this for now, but finding a a different identity with a different quarterback is something that's like on the to-do list for the future. Um, mm -hmm. For right now, using these guys in the ways that you are, I mean, they've been done a good job while he didn't get a carry this week. Jahan has gotten reversed basically every other week. Like they're finding ways to get those guys the ball, knowing that it's not necessarily going to come in the passing game because of how they're, how and who is operating that part of their offense right now. Yeah. And I also think it's important to point out that like, it's not just a quarterback thing necessarily. It's also an offensive line 
right. thing. Like they are not a team that is built to drop back pass a ton, right? We saw how that looked earlier in the season. We saw that looked against uh, Detroit, against Philly, all these different teams, right? They just against Dallas, for example, they just couldn't protect it, right? right. And you know that's it's tough protecting in the NFL at that kind of level. So it's not a total indictment of them, but this is a team with the personnel that they have that's built to run the football with the offensive line. So I think that that's something that fans need to also consider. Like as much as he's not the quarterback right now, it's not like you could take, you know, what's the kid from Alabama, Bryce Young, and put yeah. him in the system and have him be successful right away. Like you need to upgrade at the offensive line in terms of finding guys who are better pass protectors, right? So I think a big priority this offseason, which we've talked about, is finding another offensive lineman, right? You know, and maybe bumping Cosby in a guard, getting a nice big right tackle shoring up that protection and then all of a sudden the complexion of the team changes right you do have the ability to like push the football down the field and that's the other thing that's important to note is like the passing game that scott runs is a down the field passing attack so you do need excellent pass protectors right so it's not like this uh, a version of kansas city where it's screens and quick game and there's multi-levels and you get patrick mahomes elevating the offensive line by avoiding pressures all that kind of stuff it's a little different so you need to make sure the personnel I think for Scott and for Ron, this offseason fits the scheme. And it, that is a quarterback, but it's also offensive line too. And I think that's something, um, again, to keep an eye on moving forward. But I think it's also important to understand because it's not it's not a totally fair criticism of Heineke to say he's the reason that the weapons aren't being used. There's another factor there that's right. limiting the effectiveness of that group. Totally. Uh, with that said, what is this group doing so well in the run game? I mean, 176 yards on the ground. Uh, it wasn't the best rush day in the NFL yesterday, but that or this weekend, but that's only because Josh Jacobs ran for 229 for Vegas and Philly ran for 363 in their game. Jalen <laughs> Hurts, had, yeah, Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders both had they, between the two of them they averaged 150 yards. I think one had 157, one had 143, which is bananas uh, but washington had, washington consistently has been one of the best rushing teams over the last you know six seven eight weeks so what is it while they're not great pass protectors what have they been able to do in the run game to shore this up i know you know ron was asked about tyler larson yesterday and his role in this uh, as a blocker but also as a guy kind of coordinating I, I know there were some missed targets earlier in the season like what what is what has gone right for them because it feels like we have been a little hypercritical and um you know just, again we're just like trying to flush out flush out what this team is right and it's not like the offense was killing it they still did score 19 points they still didn't have a, an amazingly high uh yardage total certainly in the passing game so it's not like we're just going to be like oh well uh who cares um that's not a very good I, someone commented something like that the other day and i was like what do you want us to do be like up oh, they won all right that's it that's the podcast right like, you know we're, we're not just picking nits to to be mean it's 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 more insightful this way but also, insight can be uh, giving credit where it's due, and this offensive line uh, clearly deserves some credit in the run game, as does obviously Brian Robinson. Yeah, absolutely. So what I would say is that the offensive line has gotten more consistent, but also th I, I do believe that Scott has simplified what he's calling and when he's calling it. So like we've talked about a lot on this show, and I, and I talk about it a lot because I think it is very relevant, is that they are running a, a lot of duo. And they're get to getting to it out of multiple personnel groupings, multiple different motions and pre-snap sets, which gives the illusion of complexity. However, that illusion of complexity is actually really simple for the offensive line because they say, oh, all the target is the same on duo, regardless of the personnel, right? And our blocking combinations are the same. The calls are roughly the same. Obviously, there's some variation depending on whether there's three tight ends to the right and one to the left. That's we're getting in the weeds there a little bit, but for on the whole, that's that's going to simplify things for that group. 
So they they do still run counter. They do still run a little bit of RPO zone stuff, but not as much. So I do think that they've really brought that package in and made it really, really tight and sleek. And they've got kind of their base runs. Like it would be really interesting now that you've asked this to go back and look at how many total runs they were running early in the year and how many total runs they're running now, right? Because I, I really think they've simplified it. I mean, I, I don't want to say this, they don't mean this disparagingly, but I think they probably ran five runs in the game, right? They run duo, they run yeah. counter. That's not disparaging at all. Like yeah. that's a that's great. Like I mean, yeah. the old cla- like the classic old guy story in Washington was, you know, oh, we used to run fifty gut and we just uh-huh. call it and run it again. And it's like, you know, Doc Walker loves to tell that story. But so does Clinton Portis. For years yeah. and years and years, like decades of football, you you hear about they ran this one play until the other team could stop it and they never could. And like if you can do that in the NFL it's not literally the same play, right? Like you'd have to you'd have to give me an actual play call with a formation and stuff. Right. Uh, right. But like it it's formation or motion formation twelve duo. Motion formation thirteen duo. And it's just you're you're just running either yeah. side of the either side of the center um and getting in there, but you get to it from different ways, using different personnel, using different formations, etc. But at the end of the day, when you know you're gonna get to that same destination at yeah. set hut and you're gonna have the angles that you're that feel familiar and use the techniques that you have practiced time right. and time again. Like the ability to do something over and over and over is a good thing. And if you can actually pull that off as an offense, that is way better, uh, specifically in the run game. Pass game, I think, is is more of an interesting discussion. But right. specifically in the run game, that is better than some ridiculous variety of, of trying to execute a you know 28 different plays in a game. And so, again, they're not – and it's not like they're doing something remedial here. And the other thing right. they do a really nice job of is they – is they do is they insulate the run and what i mean by insulate the run is like you protect the run so you know i've got a whole bunch of offensive line buddies and one of the things you know i'm working at this high school now and i work with will montgomery who was a former player here and played in the nfl for 10 years Mm -hmm. and one of his big gripes is like you need to make sure every run is insulated and what he means by that is like when we're running duo what's our play action on pass off a duo what is another look we can get to and we talked about the jet sweeps they ran one with gibson in the game they ran one with curtis right those are excellent kind of things that insulate the run because duo is a very downhill action. It draws the linebackers in nice and tight. So if you're going to do that and we need to find a way to loosen you up, let's run a jet sweep, right? And right. I don't care if it goes for five yards, four yards, seven yards, whatever. Now yeah. the next time I By run the way, that if jet run goes for seven yards, even if it's a jet sweep, like that's a seven-yard run. Take that all right. day. Right. And so the next time that he sees that jet sweep action, he's going to be a little bit late to react and the double team can get there, right? Or he sees... Or, or we do, or we're running the play action pass, or, or we ran the play action pass, and we run duo again. There's a little bit of doubt in that defender's mind about whether I should fit this or not. So they're, you know, they're they're running inside outside zone, they're running, um, you know, tight zone, they're running a little bit of RPO kind of stuff, not as much as they were before, but it's definitely a part of their offense. But the thing that they're hanging their hat on, the thing that they're going to call between seven and twelve times a game, is a version of duo and then they're going to get probably four or five little variations in terms of jet sweep and then they're going to run the play action pass probably three times right so there are so i mean how many plays is that that's about 25 plays they ran whatever they ran right in terms of probably 50 60 plays so there's other plays in there there's other pass concepts there's other runs but it's a big chunk of what they what they do and what they want to be and i think having that in there has simplified what the offensive line does and i think the other thing 
is it speaks really well to what the offensive line does. I mean, right. Tyler Larson, Tyler Larson is like a 330 pound center. Norwell's 335 pound guard. Trey Turner's in that same sphere. They're big guys. We talked about how in the screen game specifically, they're not really dexterous and athletic, right? They are really good at being big and leaning on people and covering guys up and duo is the perfect play for that group inside. And so you see them kind of be able to mollywop people, right? And that's what they want to be. Yeah, I saw a great uh, pair of stats yesterday, uh, one from one of the guys from PFF who said the commanders uh, over the last seven games have uh, it's negative 0.08 EPA Mm -hmm. uh, on pass plays. So they're like negative on pass plays, <laughs> but they're six and one in that time, right? Record wise, that should yep. not be possible. And then right. Nikki Javala had a great stat that I, I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but basically, uh, Washington's rush yardage was about twenty percent, twenty three percent, something in there for the mm-hmm. first six games of the season. And since it's accounted for almost fifty percent, it's like high forties, forty six, forty eight, somewhere in yep. there. And I'm just like, that's it, that's it, that is the formula. They are literally doing the things they're good at and avoiding the things they're bad at, which by the way means because that pass uh, offense is not stellar, it doesn't matter as much because it's just not a big part of what they do. Right. You know, if I'm really bad at speaking Spanish, that doesn't really affect this podcast because we do this in English. And so not that I'm always great at English, but that's a whole different story, (laughs) Logan. You shut your mouth. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. I want to quickly actually add our mailback question into this segment. We've gone very long on the offense, so I want to I want to actually add this in. You're listening to the Take Command podcast, by the way, if you didn't know. And if you like it, subscribe wherever it mm. is that you're listening or watching right now. Um, but AJ uh, messaged us on Instagram. He says, this might be a silly question, but hoping you'll indu- indulge me and perhaps address in the pod. Well, AJ, we're here to make your dreams come true. <laughs> With these running schemes we are using, how hard is it for the players to learn in comparison to more traditional offenses and running schemes? Should we be giving uh, the coaches and players more credit for being able to retain and mostly execute on all this stuff? I'm sure they find a way to simplify, but with all the variations, motion, and and timing, it seems like this is pretty impressive, especially considering it wasn't likely what was done much at all during OTAs and training camp. It just seems that everything has to be synced up so well, and the team really seems to be in unison to the naked eye. Thanks, as always. It's mm, a good question. Um, so what I would say is that the interesting thing about run scheme, right, is like when you install a run, it's like, oh, here is, let's just say 12 duo because we're talking about it a lot. 
and you have 12 duo out of 11, you have 12 duo out of 12, you have 12 duo out of 13, right? You have it out of all these different personnel Yeah, groups. so one one, uh, one back, one tight end, one back, two tight ends, one back, three tight ends, 11, 12, 13. Uh, right. and just, just so people know, uh, the numbers in duo, are, that's not the same thing. So like 12 duo, evens go left? Yeah, evens go right. Evens, evens go right, right odds, odds go left. left. So 12, 12 is going one way, 13 is going the other. Right. And so, um, so on this play, for example, the blocking surface, the five-man blocking surface, really don't need to know the personnel until you get to 13 because there's probably going to be an extra safety in the box. But usually the targeting rule is like, hey, just take it to the farthest person back in the box. Safety, linebacker, doesn't matter. So for the offensive line, the motions, the shifts – it doesn't really matter. It helps if they know, right? So, for example, if we're going to start kind of in a six-man blocking surface, which they've done a lot, and then they motion the other tight end in this counter motion and have him sift back and cut the cut the defensive end away from the run, you want to know that because you're going to bring somebody else back into the box. So understanding that like little wrinkle is important. But on the whole, your rule, if I lined up in 12 and had that thing, there would be a defender there and I would go to him. Now, I need to know that there's a motion because he's going to come in late. But on the whole, like for the for those five guys, there's not a lot of variation in terms of that. The variation comes for the skill guys, right? And the and the cool thing about runs specifically is the skill guys, in terms of intellectual load, it's very low on runs, right? Because it's like, oh, I'm gonna bring Jahan and he's gonna run a jet sweep. Like Jahan just needs to hear, like, oh, I'm the F, I got the jet sweep. Sweet, sick, I'm gonna do that, right? It's not like, oh, who am I blocking? What's the number count? Oh my gosh, it's like Jet sweep, awesome. And then if you're playing outside, it's like if the run's to me, I block the safety that's rotating down. If it's away, I'm probably going to do the same thing if it's duo, right? So, again, the rules are not overly complicated. It's the window dressing and the formation that's complicated. But because the the execution of it is so straightforward, right, for the five offensive linemen and the skill guys, we can add a little bit of stuff on there, right? I can say, hey, let's, um, you know, let's go west right, F left, um, Z jet, F sift, right? And I know because we've, I've run duo a thousand times in my life. And that's the other thing about duo. It's a very common run throughout the league and everyone runs it relatively the same. I know, okay, well, if I'm the F, I, I know I got the Sam linebacker. And if I'm the Y, I know I got the double team, the N to the Mike linebacker. And it doesn't matter all that other stuff. Like that's my rule on duo, right? right. And so I think that's why it's, it's cool because they've, they've really simpli- they've, they've simplified the runs. So they're going to run 12 and 13 duo. They're probably going to run uh 13 14 inside zone and maybe one or two outside zones not a ton of that right but that's kind of what they're doing and they're just adding all this extra stuff on it and people say is that is that viable is that tenable i mean shoot look at atlanta they ran outside zone almost every play outside of the quarterback (laughs) read stuff right right but they are really good at it and they have enough variations and motions and shifts off of it and they can the other thing they do which is really really good is they can to different runs, right? Which allows them to be in the perfect look all the time. But that is something that it, it's straightforward. It's simple. They're running the same things basically over and over again with different window dressing. And that to me is the sign of a really good run game. You, you lose something in the sauce when you add too many runs because it's like, oh, we've got 13, 14, 15, 16, uh, you know, all these different runs in and we don't own any of them. Now I feel right. like they have an identity that they own. And then they supplement that. They supplement the main dish. They supplement the steak with a little bit of mashed potatoes, a little bit of green beans, which is your jet sweep stuff, whatever it is. But that is the meal, is the is the duo stuff. Right. Uh, the one thing I will add is the window dressing does not complicate things for the offense. 
it very much does for the defense because the yes. second like a yes. tight end goes across the formation, now your gaps change and they change like that right mm-hmm. before the snap. So you have to all be on the same page to realign what gaps you're attacking. Uh, not to mention if a team is running play action off of that or it could be running a jet sweep, that is more to consider. So you've got a lot to think about in a very compressed amount of time for a defense. Well, for the offense, it's really not that complicated. And what more right. could you want, frankly? You want things that are easy for you and hard for them. Like they say in politics, you want to pick issues that are unite your base and divide the other time, uh, the other base. That is right. exactly what you want to do as an offense in football. You would like to unite your team and divide the other one. And that right. is what a lot of this stuff does and that's why it's complicated like it's not just window dressing that defenses are like spinning in circles going like oh my god that's so fancy it's like son of a gun which gap am i supposed to be in they just changed the strength of the formation they just changed their alignment they just changed who potentially is could be the person blocking me and where my eyes should be oh i finally figured it out and it was play action all along and there goes the ball over my head like that that is the kind of stuff that a defense has to think about while the offense is exactly what logan described very, very simple, just a matter of, of everybody knowing their simple part of something that adds up to being a lot more complex. And that is a fantastic point. It's the illusion of complexity, right? If you if you go around the league and look at even pass games, look at all the pass games, look at all the run games, the, they're, they're the same concepts. They're the same runs. It's just how that team has game planned or motioned or formationed or even using cadence in certain ways, right? To kind of manipulate what that run is and getting to that run. Because that's the little bit of edge, right? That little bit of indecision, right? So like, for example, every team runs a bow concept, which is like a sit and then uh, sit by number two, number one runs a big in-cut behind it, right? Every single team runs it. But when you watch Dallas run it, they run it with a a cross release every single time, right? Or they motion across and they have the motion guy run the dig afterwards, right? Again, it's just little ways to get to the same stuff that everyone else is doing with a little bit of window dressing to say to make the defense go, oh, shoot, this is a this is actually a two by two or this is actually a three by one or I actually got to fit the A gap or I actually got to fit the B gap. But if you can keep it simple for your guys, then they can play fast and execute at a high level. And I think that's a fantastic point, Greg. All right. Uh, AJ, hopefully that answered your question. Hopefully it, it wasn't. By the way, it wasn't a silly question. It was a good question. Uh, so thanks for uh, letting us letting us answer it here on the podcast. You can also uh, shoot us a message, leave us a comment, uh, wherever it is that you want to get in touch with us. And maybe we'll answer your question on a future episode of Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson here on Take Command. You can, obviously, wherever you're listening or watching right now, subscribe. If you're a YouTube viewer, make sure you like as well. That helps other people find it. You don't want to be selfish. That's not That's not very nice. We want other people to find this insight and information that we try to give you three times a week here on Take Command. Uh, coming up uh, on Friday, I think we're going to have our buddy Sean Mraz, uh, who is a hilariously funny uh, producer for the DA show, but also hosts our Brethren podcast up in New York uh, on the Giants. So he will help us with our Giants preview. And before that, Logan, first ever active player joining the show. We've had so many former players. I mean, shoot, last week we had London Fletcher, and he's, you know, hopefully this year, but if not, very, very soon, headed to the Hall of Fame. Uh, And that's, that's a pretty good get. 
but John Bates is going to join us. Uh, your your fellow tight end uh, brother and had a couple of massive massive blocks. Uh, I was watching one clip yesterday and and John picked up someone on an outside run and carried him about 10 yards out of bounds, which was a good time. Uh, also had a touchdown. So John's going to join us for a special bonus episode on Wednesday. We will publish that, I think, pretty much immediately. So make sure you check that out and you're subscribed. And that way, as soon as it's ready uh, and Matt hits the old little publish button, uh, producer Matt, then then you'll have it uh, ready to listen to or watch. That's how that's how that works. Okay, defense. Uh, not a banner day for the no. rushing defense at all. Worked out. They only gave up 13 points, but how concerning was what Atlanta was able to do? Um, so I got another question in on my Instagram from Christopher Potts, kind of asking the same thing. And I, it's it's interesting because everybody has been asking me a version of this question. Should we be worried? Is this something to be scared about moving forward? Um, did they show some type of, you know, crack in the armor or whatever? And my answer is no, don't be worried about it. And the reason I say that is because Atlanta, I think we talked about this on the pregame show. And I think we were the only ones who were talking about it is like that Atlanta probably could run the ball against this team and the reason you say that is because they know who they are they know who they are like so astutely they run outside zone probably better than any other team in the nfl they have one of the best offensive lines for running outside zone they have excellent backs for it and they have a quarterback who can run if they had taylor heineke in the offense they would be a surefire playoff team which is a crazy thing to think about like that's how good they are at running outside zone they are excellent at it they could run that outside zone versus anybody i watched carolina Again, I think I brought this up. They had a six-man blocking surface, Atlanta did. And Carolina has eight human beings in the box, which is ridiculous. No one does that anymore in the NFL. But that's how good Carolina felt Atlanta wasn't running the football. And so, obviously, Jack was like, we're going to kind of do what we do. We're going to play it light boxes. And I don't want to say he underestimated it because they win the game. They only give up 13 points. But I think that's part of the equation, right? And the other thing to keep in mind is that teams that run the football like this, it just takes one little hiccup and they're out of sequence, right? So if you look at the first drive for Atlanta, right? And the crazy thing is the more plays you run, the more likely it is you're going to have a hiccup and you're going to get out of sequence. Right. So on the first play, on the first drive of the game, they're killing killing the commanders with outside zone. Outside zone right, outside zone left, quarterback run, all this stuff. And all of a sudden they run a duo play. And they're not built to run duo. They're not good at it, right? Nope. John Bostic gets gets up there and smacks the back. Just chins it, right? Then he's like, okay, well, let's run a a zone read. Uh, And then the defensive end does a good job. um, Hands it off. It's an inside run. They're not great inside runs. Chins it again. Incomplete pass. And that was one bad call. One out of rhythm call by Arthur Smith, right? So I don't think there's anybody left on the schedule. There's some good running teams, no doubt. Dallas, San Francisco, Uh, Cleveland, there's some good running teams, but nobody, I haven't watched Cleveland yet, but nobody that runs outside zone as well as them. So even if they try to run outside zone, it's going to be like a shadow of what they saw here. Because every team runs a version of it. Like Houston runs a ton of outside zone. They're pretty good at it. They're not as good as Atlanta. And we saw what happened to Houston when they tried to run outside zone. So I think you're going to get a version of that no matter who they play, right? If they play the New York Giants, they're pretty good at outside zone, but they're not the Atlanta Falcons. And it just to me, it's just the difference between a good rushing team and an excellent rushing team, and and Atlanta's an excellent rushing team. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that that drive, uh, the first down play that you were talking about was the one where Fuller came off the edge, made a heck of a play with, right. with John Allen, and then Bostic chins the second one. Yeah. Uh, when they, they try to to go back to uh, something up the middle, so the uh, 
the other part of their run game that was super successful, though, that gives me a little bit of worry for these next two games against the Giants was Mariota pulling it. Like right. He had a great day rushing. Obviously, Daniel Jones is a threat in that regard. How much of that was Washington selling out, maybe, to stop and, and saying, we'll live with some Mariota runs, and they might take a different approach against Jones? How much of that was missed assignments? Like, how how concerning is that specifically against the Giants, where uh, that is a huge part of what they do, and how Jones has been able to get into a rhythm? And, and unlike Mariota, like once Jones gets in a little bit of a rhythm, like he's a threat as a passer. Yeah. Mariota is just not not to, Daniel Jones is not a good passer by any stretch of the imagination, but he can get going a little bit, and he's got arm talent, uh, and, and he's a lot bigger of a threat in that part of the game than than Atlanta and Mariota are. Man, you just unpacked a whole bunch there. So. Let's shoot. I don't even know where to start. Let's start with the let's start, let's start with Mary. How how was Mariota able to have success as a right. quarterback runner for okay. Atlanta? So first off, like when they like when um, Washington plays Philly, they are very aggressive to the mesh point. They're trying to get the ball out of Hertz's hands, right? Right. Because there's such a big RPO element to what they do. Atlanta just runs a zone read, and I kind of felt like, and I, it would be interesting to talk to somebody about this. I kind of felt like that didn't scare them. They're like, we have some of the best, like our defensive ends are very athletic. We got really athletic linebackers. If he pulls it, we'll be able to run him down. So instead of attacking the mesh point, they kind of muddy footed it, which is where you kind of stand and try to not give him a clean read and then react to him handing the ball off and then you make the tackle, right? And so I, that, that was the game plan that they went in with. Then during the game, they tried to adjust and say, okay, well, he's kind of killing us. So let's bring, let's have the defensive end crash to the back and bring a safety or corner around. But Atlanta does a really good job of bringing a fullback or someone else to kind of lead block. And Mariota, to his credit, is very, very good at the mesh. Like Obviously, it's something he did a ton of in college, but he's he can really ride it out and kind of – in fact, there's a couple times where you see him riding it so long, the back thinks it's his, and then he pulls it out late, and the back's kind of like, oh, shoot, like did I fumble the ball? Like that's how right. late it is in the series, right? And he's, he's very good at it. I will say – they, I think if I was them, I would just attack the mesh point. That seems to be when they're at their best, right? Um, and on the second to last play of the game, James Smith-Williams attacks the mesh point. I think everybody remembers this play. They, they're running yep. zone read. They've been getting killed on all day. He attacks the mesh point, and Mariota is totally baffled by it, right? And James does an excellent job. I posted this on my Instagram, actually, so if you guys want to check that out just to see it. He attacks the back on a steep angle, like at the mesh, and then Merida pulls it, and then James just adjusts up the field and makes a tackle. He almost baits him into pulling it and then making – he doesn't make the tackle. He spins out, but everyone rallies right. and makes the tackle. Right, so he slows I him actually, up far enough. I actually think if you're going to play Daniel Jones, because of how much keeper they run, because they, they know their offensive line sucks right now. Like they, they, And that's not an indictment of them. They have, I think, four, four of their five starting offensive linemen are hurt at the moment, three or four. Don't quote me on that. But yeah, so banged up offensive line. And in some cases, they're on their third depth piece. So they are struggling and they know they're struggling. So yeah, you're going to see a little bit more zone read. You're going to see a little bit more keeper. One way to absolutely murder those plays is to just run directly at the quarterback. <laughs> right. And I don't think, I think that would be a very viable solution in this, this week's game because they seem to play the zone read better from that standpoint. And it would kill the keeper game that, um, that the Giants are really leaning heavily on at the moment. We will talk to Mraz about that more on Friday, and obviously we will get into more of that on Friday on our own when we preview the Giants, a thing that we will do 
twice in the next three weeks. Uh, we got to talk about our bye week schedule. We'll figure that out uh, yes. as well uh, in terms of what we'll do here on Take Man. Might be a good opportunity for a mailbag episode. Uh, always mm-hmm. love to get some extra stuff in. Uh, maybe we'll get get an interview or two, uh, something a little bit extra, something a little bit different. Uh, just that's, This is why you subscribe. You, we don't always know what we're going to do, but eventually we figure it out, and then we give it to you. And, and no, matter, no matter what that solution is, if you just subscribe, then you get it uh, fresh in your YouTube feed, fresh in your Apple podcast feed, Spotify, the Odyssey app, wherever it is that you are listening or watching. Uh, anything else from the game that you think is important to mention before we go? Oh, yeah. So you, One more you thing about, he says. You talked about Mariota throwing the football, and I actually think this is the most significant factor in the entire game. So basically they were running the ball with – Tremendous efficiency. They were averaging about five yards a carry, something like that, including Mariota's carries, all that stuff. Um, but every time they had to throw the football, I think I think Mariota as deficiencies as a pass passer came up. And I think the Washington commander's secondary and linebackers did a really nice job getting underneath stuff. Uh, because if you look at the scoring drives, those were the drives where they were able to find a chunk play in the passing game, right? So they get the big completion to Drake London, and then at the very end, they get the completion to Zacchaeus on like kind of the busted coverage late, right? So looking at those plays, every other pass play that was down the field, they did an excellent job of of, of masking the pass protect, or of, of of matching the concept. And I want to say that that those plays specifically are what stalled drives most. Mm in the game, right? So he's trying to call a play on one of their three and outs. He tries to call play action past the first game. It doesn't work. First play, first play of the series doesn't work out. Ends up being like a no gain or incomplete pass. They're behind the sticks and obviously they're good enough to run the football to overcome that, but it just makes it more challenging. Right. And so for, for him to do that, for, for, for the defense to do that and match those concepts and basically eliminate the big plays where Atlanta was able to kind of find their legs for the most part, um, you know, in terms of getting chunk plays outside of their excellent run game. I think that was that to me was so significant. Now, a little bit it's on Mariota. He's a little bit late with some stuff. His timing's a little bit off, all those different things. But guys were there. Guys are matching concepts. Guys are in tight coverage. And to me, that is that was extremely significant because it was enough to get them out of schedule. And then oftentimes they weren't able to get themselves back in schedule and it would kind of bog down drives in the red zone. Um, in the field, and I think that was something that no one was talking about post game. But I think it was after reviewing the film was absolutely huge. Yeah, uh, the one area where it was kind of mentioned post game was a big muchas gracias. See, I can do some Spanish. Uh, a, a big muchas gracias to Arthur Smith for the play calling around the goal line. It was like, mm-hmm. buddy, why did you abandon the run there? Like, okay, right. you did it some other times in the game because you got to try to pass it, I guess, eventually. Yeah. But holy cow, when the game is on the line and you are smashing people and you have the time and you have the timeouts and you have the personnel and you have the momentum, why on earth are you putting the ball in the air? Uh, but they did. I mean, he was I mean, he was open, though. Cordell Patterson was open right there. Okay, but you can't throw an interception if you don't throw it. <laughs> and that is true. Sometimes, sometimes that is... I know that sounds obnoxious, but sometimes that is the uh, that is the truth. Whether it is Pete Carroll and, and company in the Super Bowl, whether it right. is uh, Arthur Smith here, like you got the thing that will help you most likely score. And by the way, advantageous from a time standpoint because you're just milking the clock. They had plenty of time. Why on earth are you throw? Like I get I get it in some situations. If you have Patrick Mahomes, fine. You throw on an early down, try to catch him off off rhythm. But dear God. You, you've just run the ball straight down the field 
Why yeah. on earth would you put it up there? Uh, and then Deron Payne comes through, gets his big mid up, and Kendall Fuller makes a heck of a play to adjust and seal the game. All right, uh, that's it for the pod. Uh, again, thanks for listening. Subscribe wherever you are. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe. And we will see you guys uh, tomorrow with John Bates. Yeah, John Bates mm. joining the show. Blocking your face off. Uh, something. <laughs> I don't know. All right, we yeah. should we should probably. He, he blocks his face off. You used to block your face off. I, did, I yeah. just talk. And uh, that's, that's kind of that. All right, we're done.